third episode of the Ohio Pawpaw Festival podcast. If you are hearing this the same weekend that the festival is still happening, that means you have one more day to get out to the 23rd annual Ohio Pawpaw Festival at Lake Snowden in Albany, Ohio. Gates are open on Sunday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can still get down there for music, food, presentations, workshops, community, vendors, all sorts of great things. Some of those things this podcast here is hoping to bring to you if you missed it at the festival or maybe if you just can't be with us down here this year, a little sampling of some of the presentations and talks from the Pawpaw Tent in particular are what we're going to serve up here on this podcast for the next few episodes. So, of course, maybe you just missed something while you were there doing something else, or maybe you're tuning in from far away and you couldn't make the trip to Southeast Ohio. The Ohio Pawpaw Festival podcast is here for you. Along those lines, you can help us out by telling other people that we exist, sharing us, rating, reviewing, anything you can do. Subscribe to the podcast. It's now available on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and will slowly be available more places where you get your favorite podcasts already. This episode, it's all about beer. That's right. We got to listen in earlier on Saturday afternoon on the Brewers Roundtable event in the Paw Paw Tent. And you're going to hear from several Ohio breweries about their beer, the process that goes into making the Paw Paw beers and the different styles for the festival. Now it gets a little loud at points. This is a beer tasting as well, and a, well, a band's playing too. Featured here is North High Brewing in Columbus, Ohio, Devil's Kettle Brewing in Athens, Ohio, Weasel Boy Brewing in Zanesville, Ohio, and Sixth Sense Brewing in Jackson, Ohio. Head over to the Beer Tent and the Paw Paw Festival on Sunday if you're around, and make sure to try some of these beers while you can. If not, some of them are available at the tap rooms of the specific breweries mentioned. Cheers. Well, cool. Well, this is uh, this is going to be fun. We have, as I said, four of the breweries. Um, I'm going to go through and introduce each of the brewers, which breweries they're working with, and uh, and we'll talk. Just give a quick title of what beer they brought to the event, and then we're going to go in and start with the first beer of the event, um, tasting wise, um, from there. So, without further ado, uh, we're talking with North High Brewing Company. I'm sorry. I'm on the wrong end. North High Brewing Company. Sorry, everybody. Jason McKibben. Um, he's been with the brewery as long as I remember. It's been a while. Woo! Let's see. This beer that you brought is. What beer did you bring? I bought, uh, I bought uh, a beer we've made for the last couple of Pawpaw Fests. It's called Pawpaw Wawa. All right. All right. Perfect. Moving on. Sorry, next is Devil Scattle Brewing Company, Cameron Fuller. Cameron, let us know what beer you brought today. That beer is called Milo Goes a Papa Fest. All right. Okay. Moving on to Weasel Boy Brewing Company. We have Jay Wince. Uh, he's been with his brewery since it's open. And he's the brewer owner and his wife assists as well with the brewing. And what beer did you bring, Jay? Uh, we brought our Weasel Paw Papa Pale Ale. And if you can't say that fast, you don't get served. <laughs> okay, and last, I apologize, I started at the wrong end. This is Grant Foster with Sixth Sense Brewing Company. 
These guys are great. They're uh, part of the Archinetti's group. They have a wonderful restaurant there as well. And what beer did you bring, Jack? Uh, we brought two beers, our Pawpaw Hefeweizen and our Pawpaw Nerfshake. Woohoo! All right. Okay. Well, do we have volunteers bringing beer already? Okay, so our first beer is already here. So who all is actually part of the event? All right, hold up your glasses. Well, let's go ahead and just start filling glasses so we can start moving on with our first product. I believe this is the Devil's Scale can. I think you're up first. All right. So... I'm gonna give you the, the microphone, have at it. All right, I guess I'm uh, just gonna blabber about my beer a little bit uh, while you all get served. Uh, so way back in the olden times of 2018, um, we actually held a um, pawpaw homebrewers competition that year where I agreed to brew the winning entry of that year. And that year, the winner was a, um, was a Goza made by uh, a man named Kurt Holrich. Um, so he gave me, he happened to be a friend of mine, he's in the local homebrew club, so I've known him for years. Uh, so it was really easy to collaborate with him. He came to my brewery, gave me his recipe. Uh, I scaled it up and uh, tried to brew it as accurately as possible um, to recreate what he did. Um, so a Goza is a German sour style. Um, many of them are much more sour than he and I have made them. Uh, this is only very slightly tart. Um, I fully admit uh, his recipe doesn't do any um, mixed cultures or anything like that to achieve the sourness. He did it purely with the fruit and citric acid additions. Um, I did that um, back in 2019 when I brewed that beer for Papa Fest. Um, and uh, I didn't want to think too hard about uh, coming up with a new recipe, so I brewed it again for this year. And, but this year I did a few tweaks to it. Um, I generally brewed it um, to the way it was before. Um, I think my scaling up the first time was not particularly good because it ended up at about 6.6%, um, just too big. So I tried to scale it down this year. Um, but I've also been trying, playing around with a different yeast strain, and it's been getting things really dry. So even though the uh, the official listing on this says it's 6%, that's what I was aiming for, it again dried out and uh, ended up at about 6.6. Um, it's very deceptive um, because it is so dry. Um, but then I took that beer and then I blended it with a house sour that I do use a souring culture with. Um, not very much, maybe only like less than 10%, but try to give it a little bit more natural lactic sourness that you expect in a sour beer as opposed to just that pure uh, citric acid, which makes it a little bit more fruity, juicy, I guess. Um, so yeah, I just released this beer officially yesterday at my pub. Um, so it's the first time I really tried it on draft. And, um, it's, uh, it just seems dangerously sessionable for a 6.6% beer is the number one thing I can say about it. Yeah. So where might I find bottles to take home? Well, you'd have to go to my brewery, and I actually don't bottle um, anything but my barrel-aged beers. Um, but we have one pint, two pint, and four pint growlers. Um, so you can get those available. Uh, uh, how far away is We're just in Athens, so uh, what, about 15 minute drive into town. Uh, we're on the north side of Athens, uh, towards Columbus. What's that? 
Uh, Devil's Kettle Brewing. Was everyone able to have a taste of the product? Did you get a tasting notes? Uh, a little bit. Um, so I guess I could like, say a little bit more about the Goza style. It's not just, um, so I talked about the sourness. Um, some of the other characteristics of the style is actually that it's salted. Um, so there's a light hint of sea salt in this. Uh, coriander as well. Um, and that just kind of gives a little spicy, uh, citrusy note as well. Um, I kind of really just want to emphasize more the fruity notes and not so much the spice or salt, but it kind of just balances out. Um, and uh, you know, so, more than anything. Yeah? When during the process do you add the salt? Uh, the question is when during the process I add the salt. And I add it at flame out, uh, so at the end of the boil, uh, along with the coriander. Any other questions? Yes? So how much pawpaw is in this? So it was about a nine barrel batch, and I got three of those five gallon buckets um, of pawpaw. Uh, so about 15 gallons, I guess, of pawpaw, whatever that is in weight. I didn't weigh it. I think they're like 35 pounds or something. Oh, 105 pounds, Jay tells me. Uh, yeah, because I think they're 35 pounds a piece. Um, I also added a 44-pound bag of mango uh, puree. Um, they, uh, you know, the talk of Popeyes, it tastes like a weird combo of banana and mango. And so uh, you know, the homebrewer's recipe is he uh, complemented the Popeye with some mango puree as well. Could you please start grabbing the next beer on the list, which is North High Brewing Company's product? Oh, we just had a great suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you critique each other's beers. <laughs> All right, we're gonna start with Jay Wins without double kettles. I have to be nice because he's sitting next to me. <laughs> no, I really, I really did want to call him this beer, and we usually do that in this event. It's always having crap. We all discuss each other's products. Um, I think what he said is very, very true. This is a very sneaky beer. It doesn't taste six and a half percent. Six point six. Yeah. Uh, another thing he mentioned that I really wanted to talk about in this particular beer, he mentioned the Goza style. I'm not a Goza fan, but that being said, I like this because the salt addition is very modest. Yes. Uh, I also like it because it's more lactic. I like lactic sours. I'm not a big fan of some of the other wild yeasts or bacteria. I'm not a big Bartanomyces fan, but I love I love lactic sour. I love uh, Berliner Weiss styles and things like that. There again, I think it's there's just enough there to make it. Slightly puckering, very refreshing, nice dry finish. That being said, I get a little bit of sweetness in the middle of the beer that I think probably comes from the fruit and the puree of, of the mango. So I think this is a really well done, great refreshing beer for this kind of weather especially. So I just wanted to say that publicly. Thank you. Um, yeah basically touched on everything. It's, you hit it all apart with a description. Um, there's just a much, just enough of that salinity that you, know, you want, you come back for more, you finish it, and you want to go back for more. Um, yeah, it's a very good example of small ball. I love it. Love working with the fruit, it's a weird fruit. Yeah, really good. Uh, same beer? Sure. Yeah, I'll mostly echo the previous comments. I, I think the acidity is uh, very bright, uh, very refreshing. Uh, I also agree uh, with the salting uh, being on the low side. I'm not a Goza fan either, but 
Um, this is just like just barely there, and I think it just helps to accentuate the other flavors. Um, so definitely, uh, especially for the uh really, uh, really drinkable, uh, perfect for a super hot day at Pawpaw Fest. All right, so after we heard the input from the other brewers about this product from the Devil's Kettle Brewing Company, are there any final questions, follow-up questions we have about this beer? Okay, okay. Well, we're going to move on. The next product we can start pouring. And if we can have volunteers start carrying the North High. So we're going with North High Brewing Company's product here. And we're going to hand the microphone over to Jason so he can uh, fill you in. All right, this is the... We were settled on this recipe for Pawpaw Fest, and like I just mentioned, I feel like Pawpaw Fest is always super hot. And uh, when you're walking around outside and trying to relax and have fun, uh, I like to make and I like to drink a really refreshing beer. And so uh, what I do for this beer is I make a, a blonde ale all the time. It's called Cover Crop. Uh, Cover Crop is our basically salute to Ohio. Uh, beers, so it's uh, Ohio malt and Ohio hops. Um, we buy the malt from uh, Matt Cunningham at Rustic Brew Farm, and also Origin Malt, which kind of sources barley from all over the state. Uh, the hops are from Zachrick uh, Hop Farm in Mechanicsburg, as well as Neo Hops, uh, right up there along Lake Erie. Um, so it's a simple blonde ale, and then I uh, contract with my friends over at uh, Simple Times Mixers, uh, which they're a company out of Columbus, and they make uh, basically pre-mixed cocktails minus the booze. Uh, so I highly recommend their stuff. It's all natural. Uh, and I, I buy the pawpaw from uh, Chris over at Integration Acres, like I think probably all of us do. And then he gets some watermelons, and he's got a cold press, and he just blends it together. And it's about 50-50 by weight, pawpaw and watermelon. Uh, maybe the watermelon sticks out a little bit more, pawpaw flavor is a little more subtle. Um, but it's an interesting flavor combination. I think it's refreshing, and, and uh, once again, for a hot day, uh, you need refreshing. So that's the beer. Yeah, so um, uh, Simple Times, um, I actually know the owner of Simple Times from way back in my earlier brewing career. Uh, he, makes, he makes a cocktail, so it's like a lot of, you know, like a mule or a shandy, uh, and he, it's all natural. He, it's just fruit, sugar, um, and you know, any kind of herb or other seasoning. Um, so he's got a big cold press, and I'd rather someone that has a cold press that can really squeeze everything out of the raw materials. That pawpaw pulp is, is thick and, and chunky, and it's hard to get everything out of it, but this cold press, you know, it's like thousands of PSI, and it can really just squeeze it very effectively. Um, and so I trust him to do that, and it's all natural, and then he basically provides me with the juice, and then I dose the, uh, the kegs individually. So I don't make a lot of it. I mean, it's probably, you know, 10 pounds of pawpaw per barrel. Um, so it's really just brewed for this festival, uh, and then I have one keg on tap of the tap room. So it's, it's really exclusive just for this place. Where are you looking? Uh, North High Brewing uh, is in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, we were founded back, we opened back in uh, 2012. Um, we expanded capacity in 2014. Uh, and actually, we're kind of uh, actively trying to expand our footprint with a couple of satellite brew pubs. Um, so we have a brew pub in Dublin, Ohio, uh, Hyde Park in Cincinnati, uh, Ohio City, and 
Cleveland. Uh, got a little whoop, heard of Cleveland. Um, Ohio City just opened about two months ago. Uh, we have a little shop in Springfield, uh, downtown, the old market. Um, and there's a few more in the works. Uh, it's kind of a joint venture with a co-working space called ProHatch. So uh, they provide the real estate and we provide the beer. So it's been a good partnership for us. Uh, yeah, we just barely got a little taste of it. Um, so yeah, my first impression is that there's a really nice uh, kind of bready undernote to that uh, base one, which I've used uh, that kind of stuff before. I do get that nice bready thing. I usually use it in a little bit darker beers. Uh, yeah, I think it's really refreshing with that um, you know, slightly earthy watermelon kind of flavor as well. It's really nice. Um, I, I, I think this drink's really light. Um, this, this drink's lighter than the Devil's Kettle beer by quite a bit, I think, on the palate. Um, I definitely think the watermelon takes the forefront, the pawpaws more supporting, which I believe he mentioned. I don't know if you guys will get this or not, but you know when you're eating a slice of watermelon, you get, figure all the real sweet part, you start to get towards the white edge. I'm getting a lot of that in here. And that's very interesting. I don't think I would have expected that when I first saw the description of the beer and first tried it. That was, I think, what surprised me. The finish is very clean. The finish is dry. Uh, again, another really good hot weather, refreshing beer. Uh, not super complex, but what's there is very well balanced and super enjoyable. And I love the 4.5% too. Um, pretty much mirroring what everyone said. It's super refreshing. Uh, leave it to Jason to figure out that watermelon works very well with Paul Paul. Uh, this is very good, very refreshing. Well done. <laughs> All right. I concur. You couldn't hear what he asked. His question was, do they juice the whole watermelon or do they remove the rinds prior to juicing? They remove the rind. Uh, but I, I concur with Jay and the other observations. I mean, I, I get that white part in there. So I didn't watch them chop it, uh, but I'm thinking they got all of it but the rind. Um, my understanding is that if you bought like a commercially prepared watermelon juice, it probably has the rind in it. Uh, so like the big guys when they make it uh, do that and that's on purpose another reason why I use simple times just so I can have a little bit of control um, because I reached out to a, a, a juice provider several years ago about watermelon and they're like they're like what are you using it for and I'm like well I'm gonna make a you know watermelon beer and they're like you don't want this and I'm like why not and they're like well we make it it's the whole watermelon just gets ground up and pressed out and whatever. And I'm like, well, why do you do it like that? Well, you know, for yield and price and this and that and whatever. Um, and I'm like, well, then who's buying it? And he's, they're like, um, it's for companies, large companies that need to put on the label, you know, natural ingredients are used. And if they want to have, they basically add a little bit of this watermelon juice to claim the natural, and then they just add artificial watermelon flavor. To, to make it taste like watermelon because the ground up ground up watermelon with the rind and all tastes a little like uh, rotten. It's it's kind of almost like it's rotting and kind of a garbage flavor. This is what the juice company told me. Um, so I'm like, well, you definitely sold me on not buying that stuff. So uh, yeah, but with simple times, I can I can trust them to do it right away. But yeah, they definitely got got down to the wood stuff. I agree.
Yeah, what, what I, uh, the question was, uh, do we have to do the same thing with the pawpaw uh, to get the skins and the skin out of it? And uh, fortunately, Chris over at Integration Acres does that for us. So we just buy a bucket of pulp, and it's already kind of a homogenous mixture. All right. The uh, volunteers are coming around with the next product, and I believe this is, I'm guessing, Six Sense Brewing Company. Is that accurate? Okay. That is Six Sense. Okay. Cool. Well, we're going to give this microphone over to Grant. Grant is the brewer for Six Sense Brewing Company, Jackson, Illinois. All right, so I believe that this one is the Pawpaw uh, Hepatizer. I think. It smells like it. We're going to go with that. It smells like it, So this is our Pawpaw Hepatizer. Um, so we just brew a very more of an American take um, on the Hepatizer, the base. Hef that we do um, a bit more of that banana clove that the yeast likes to throw off, um, and we found out I think the year we were uh, the first year we were given Paul Paul, um, we had some left over. We had a bucket left over, and we were like, "Hey, you know what goes really well with banana and clove flavor? Paul Paul flavor." Um, a lot of a lot of people say that uh, Paul Paul can taste like banana. Uh, I think it's more of a texture thing myself. But it turns out it complements it very well. Um, it's dry, effervescent. It honestly, I don't recall the MPH on it, but it does honestly have a really tart finish, which I think works out really well. This is the fruits. Uh, we only did uh, two barrels of this. Uh, we basically sold it all to Paul Office, so if you do have some, please enjoy it. Uh, we'll probably only get it here. Uh, we added. I think one of those five-gallon buckets per two barrels of this beer. Uh, and to begin with, before we move this onto the brewers to describe their opinions of, of this style in this beer. Which yeast? We use uh, uh, we use an American uh, hefty yeast. Uh, there's German and American, so we use the American version a little more of that banana uh, flavor. Okay. Good question. Okay, yeast is one of the main dominant characters that affects the character of the character. Well, just about every beer we have so far, the yeast is a predominant flavor. Alright, Jake. This beer drink drank a lot lighter than, and drier than I expected to drink. It seems like it's finished very, very low. Um, predominant flavor to me comes from the yeast. Uh, I get more clothey character than I do banana character. And uh, the pawpaws in the background on this kind of provides a fruity note and finish to me. Well, typically, I would expect more body and half the bison. Uh, like I said, this American style, I think yeast ferment drier than the Germans. But uh, there again, for the third time, a really light, crisp, refreshing beer for hot weather. That spicy character off of that yeast and a little bit of clothing, I think, is a nice finish and a compliment to that. Uh, a little bit of freeze in the finish, so it's my impression of that one. Wait, what's the ABV on that one? ABV on that um, one? Around five and a half. Five and a half percent, so yeah, again, a nice, great beer for warm weather, so. Alright, yeah, I definitely get the, the spicy flow kind of thing, but I think this is the most fruit forward beer that we've had yet. Um, and so I think it really like, balanced it nicely with that spicy flavor. And yeah, I also noticed on that first impression that it did seem a little bit tart. So yeah, maybe just that fruit really 
kind of kicks that yeast into another mode and it just continues to drop. I kind of wonder if that's what happened with mine as well and uh, why it's not so dry. It's kind of that extra little sugar rush at the end and the hot happy right. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, this fruit and spice in there. Oh, uh, light potty, and it's again super nice, refreshing hot light of here. Really go for this one. Uh, echoing all the comments, uh, definitely uh, uh, noticed that uh, acidic tang, uh, but I think it kind of complements the flavor. It's probably just a testament to what the pawpaw's doing here. Um, so, uh, once again, great for hot weather and uh, very refreshing. Are there any questions from anybody on this German style Hefe Bites or American German style Hefe Bites? Jay's beer is in the process. They're um, from Weasel Boy, they're out of Zinesville, Ohio. They're in the process of gathering the samples of that beer for us right now. Uh, so I'm going to let Jay start giving a lead in. Oh, there's a question. Merch shake now? Yeah. Also, we have the merch shake. They've done, they've done half and half. Okay, well, we never posted the merch shake up front. Yeah. Your merch shake is in the audience, just yeah. for the record. <laughs> merch shake is in the building. Merch shake is in the building. So, why don't you go ahead and see the yeah, people sure. that have that beer tell them about it. Um, so for people that do have Paul Palmer today, um, what the beer is itself, um, we have a, I guess you would call it a flagship beer that we do that is in the New England style uh, Merc juice, which I'm sure, if you're a fan of us at all, you've probably had it somewhere, it's been on tap around here. The shake is actually the double version of that beer that we call Mercus Juicimus, and then we also do a we call shaking it, uh, we add lactose to it, and usually a fruit uh, that complements uh, the hops that go with it. Um, so Papa Merck Shake is uh, Citra Mosaic and El Dorado, um, fermented, or not fermented, uh, brewed a little cooler, just not get too much of the body, but still, still flavor. Um, we use 10 pounds of Hops per barrel for that beer. Um, it is the, one of the biggest that we do. Um, this batch we did six barrels of and sent most of it down here, and it got two of the five uh, five gallon buckets of pawpaw. And I know no one's talked here about it yet, but our success with that pawpaw this year was very well. I don't know how it went for you guys, just it, it came out just so well, I think, but just very fruitful, very flavorful. Don't know why crops they change every year. It's fun. Um, but yeah, so you'll taste. Uh, you'll get a little bit of hop flavor, all those uh, citrusy stone fruits. Um, I get uh, tangerine, mango, which can constantly get all those flavors, uh, even from the pawpaw fruit itself. And it just happened to complement it very well. Uh, we make it just for this fest. Um, we do have it available in our uh, tap room right now on draft. Uh, you can get some. Uh, Crowlers, I believe, to go of it. Um, yeah, uh, we're in Jackson. Uh, IBUs on um, New Englands are typically lower just because you want a lot of that hop flavor without the bitterness. Uh, so the IBUs are around like 60 on that one. Um, it's a 9.6 percent beer, so that's a plenty for it. Um, so yeah, I think they serve that in pint glasses for you guys, which is terrifying. Uh, good luck. It's hot. It is not light at all. Um, it is very heavy, uh, but still drinkable. So what got you interested in brewing with 
pawpaw. Did you know about pawpaws? Did you hear other people brewing at them? So you started. What what got you into it? Who wants to start? This gentleman right here got us in a pawpaw brewing. Um, I believe we started brewing our beer in 2010, I think. Uh, so this would be about the, I think the 11th year we made our beer. We've always made the same beer. Um, and we were just asked if we were interested in contributing a beer to the Ohio Pawpaw Festival, which we had never attended. Uh, Kelly was the original brewer of the uh, Pawpaw um, wheat beer that everybody enjoys has become one of Jack Hughes' most sought-after beers during the season uh, when he was with Marietta Brewing. He could not brew enough beer as this festival grew, so uh, Jack Hughes was asked to contribute, and Brad Clark uh, complimented his barrelage with his barrelage from the old Jack Hughes pub downtown. And then it got so big that they decided they would ask some other brewers to participate, and we were, I think, one of the first five brewers that were asked to contribute to Waffle Beer. So we did a lot of question answering with Kelly and Brad and um, come up with, at that time, a beer that was totally different from what anybody else was doing. A lot of people were doing Waffle Porters, they were doing IPAs, wheat beers, a lot, a lot of those, a lot of Waffle Weeks back in those days. Uh, so we decided to go with what we ended up brewing and um, talk about dosing, when to add, stuff like that. So it was kind of, we, we kind of learned how to do it from the guys who had done it. And they did trial by fire, and we avoided their mistakes, and which was very interesting. The BC was here, he could tell you about his fun pop-pop beer ride on the top of winter one day, but sadly he's not here. Well, uh, I'll go ahead and my interest to brew it, and it's uh, solely because of the pop-pop festival, and uh, Cushmill. Uh, I was a homebrewer a long time in the area, and honestly, I have no interest in doing it because pawpaws are a total pain to work with. Uh, those big old seeds, like they're they're really, uh, yeah, they're just, I don't want to make that puree myself. And uh, it's not easily available because it's been around the road in this small area around here. But when, we, when I became professional, I uh, became uh, available to get the purees. Um, and uh, this festival was an easy opportunity to uh, sell a lot of beer at one time. So, uh, also just stayed up in all the same place in the area. I just thought I was obliged to do it. And it's fun to step out of my comfort zone and mess around with the ingredients I wouldn't otherwise mess with. I think that was my uh, similar experience. Uh, my business partner heard about this uh, opportunity. And, I think we got into the festival around 2015, so this is, must be year, well, year six if you know, with the absence of Paw Paw Fest last year. But um, I also was like Paw Paw, and I had to just learn from Jump Street. But um, to do that, I sought Kelly's counsel as well. We came down here and met at the West End Cider House, and he told me uh, when he adds it and how he adds it. And, uh, and I really appreciate and you know, I want to recognize him for really being the godfather of Paw Paw Beers. Um, and uh, uh, very, very uh, generous man and, and uh, very helpful. So that's what got all started. We tinkered around when we first started doing this in Paw Paw IPA and uh, kind of a variety of beers and we ended up with Paw Paw Wawa in 2018. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun and fruit, but I, I, I love it that it's indigenous to Ohio and in this part of the country. And, 
uh, you know, this festival is great. Uh, so it's really, it's an honor to be part of it. Excuse me, we did just send around the Weasel Boy. Um, so we'll let Jay start talking about his product. And uh, yeah, I just want to thank everyone for being here, enjoying Pop-Up Beer. It's been, it's been a great 24 years of, of production. I kind of miss brewing beer with, with Pop-Up. Now I do ciders with Pop-Up primarily. But this is Jay Wint, Zillingsville, Weasel Boy. So this beer is based on an English-style pale ale, which a lot of people know as an ordinary bitter. It could kind of almost be a best bitter because of the alcohol content. But so it's uh, basically a very simple beer, very, very low hop rate, uh, very low starting gravity. Uh, I believe the, the, the POS sheets state that it's 4.5%, but I either sent them the wrong information or something, because it's actually 4%. Uh, typically, it comes in around 3.9 to 4.1. Uh, so, very much in that English style of sessionable air, we can drink a few of them and really not feel the uh, strong effects, especially if you're enjoying it with you know, a meal or something. And that was our goal, because I believe the first time we came down to Papa Festival, it was much like today, except it was about 95 and very, very hot. So that kind of made us think about we wanted to do something lighter in alcohol, uh, refreshing. But yeah, we wanted some body in the beer too. So we use an English style yeast. Uh, we use English hops. Uh, like I say, low gravity. We uh, dosed this at about 20 pounds of pop pop pulp per barrel. So that's about 135 pounds in the, in the whole seven barrel batch. Um, and uh, we add it post-fermentation, and then we get a secondary fermentation, which goes about five to six days before it goes still, and then we let it rest and transfer it to our beer. So I'm not a real hop head anyway, but I've never thought personally, and I have probably four guys up here and a room full of people who will not agree with me, I don't think pop-pop plays well with hops. Now, there are certain hop varieties that it does complement, but I think a lot of hop varieties that are very popular right now, they kind of conflict each other. So we wanted something very, very laid back, low in bitterness, and a hop that didn't contribute a lot of flavor and, and aroma characters. So that's one of the reasons, strangely it sounds weird, that's why we chose a bitter, because bitters aren't that bitter. But uh, the hop profiles are there, but they're not overwhelming. They kind of complement the malts of the beers. So. That's where we came from this beer. We've always found it very successful. We brew it every year. Uh, it's always for sale in the pub during this type of year, or this time of year, sorry. And uh, it's one of the favorites that our customers look forward to as the season rolls around. Uh, we do add just a little touch of honey to this beer as well, and uh, a little bit of, uh, of a natural mango extract, uh, which I think pulls the pop-up character forward a little more without covering it up. So, uh, it's been, like I say, it's been successful. I think it's been almost 11 years now. And uh, so it's just pretty much the same beer as the first one we brought down here. And, you know, if anybody has any questions on that, just let me know. This is a question for all of you guys. I apologize, I don't remember the yeast, but 2019, it seemed like all of you guys were favoring a particular yeast strain for your brewing. Um, maybe I'm mistaken. 
just you're looking at me kind of funny, but <laughs> which yeast strains are you guys using for these beers? Okay, the question was what yeast strains what yeast strains is everyone using for the beer? And just for the record, a lot of the styles require an absolute different yeast strain, so I'm guessing none of those use the same strain to begin with. Does anybody want to tackle this first? Right. I'll say for uh, uh, the Paul Hefeweizen, we use a um, liquid uh, American Hefe yeast, and for our uh, New England styles, we use a liquid East Coast. Like I said, ours is English, but I think he can address the yeast that the other guys using that you're thinking of, because there were about three or four breweries that year that used this particular strain. Yeah, I remember back then, that's when Kavik yeast was starting to just uh, start getting everywhere. At that point, I never used it. I do use it a little bit. Um, it's ridiculous how I could walk up to my fermenter, put my hand on it, and it is hot. And uh, the beer is not fusilli and gross. It's ridiculous that this beer can do that. Uh, I don't understand it. It scares me. But I've made some damn good beers with it. Uh, so I kind of, uh, you know, just trust it occasionally. Uh, with mine, uh, actually I was using the dry English ale yeast, uh, even with my German style Goza this year. Um, yeah, just back to what Jay was saying about his beer, it's interesting a couple of um, process things he mentioned. Well, I'm really happy with the way my beer turned out this year. I kind of felt like it just missing a little something to make it pop. And I was kind of thinking, actually, maybe a small dry hop. Like, uh, just two or three pounds of like a citra or mosaic, like a really fruity one, um, might have made like some of that pop for it. I was even thinking like a mango extract. Because uh, I've done that in some of my fruit beers a little bit, but primarily with fruits, like real fruit, but then that small amount, like well below what the uh, recommendations would even say to dose it with, uh, just really makes that natural fruit just pop out. Uh, yeah, there's a, a couple comments. Uh, yeah, I, do, I uh, just echo the combined comments about the, that yeast strain. I think I, it was Brett from Urban Artifact who basically, he said he switched his entire, that's all he uses now, I believe. Uh, you know, we've used them too, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm in love with them, but uh, definitely uh, you can ferment out of beer in two days, uh, which is astounding, and, and not have it not have it taste like jet fuel uh, is amazing. So, um, uh, the yeast uh, I use for this beer is, is your uh, just regular old California ale. Um, I buy most of my yeast from Omega, so that'd be Omega's 004 uh, strain. But, yeah, California ale. Okay, well, cool. Well, thank y'all. Okay, so that was good to get some info out there on the yeast varieties people like to choose. What other questions do we have that's kind of communal before we start um, critiquing the Weasel Boy beer? <laughs> Without further ado, who wants to start talking about Jay's beer first? How much did you say you have it? 20? 20 pounds per barrel. Ooh, I can taste it. Yeah. Uh, very first board. Um, I don't know if I taste like a. It's a caramel almost. It like a aromatic. I'm not sure. It's really good. I made, well, that's our kettle probably. Nice. I haven't made a bitter yet, but uh, it's very good. I'd say it's probably probably, probably my favorite. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've uh, never had um, actual Papa juice, but this tastes the most like Papa juice. Um, you didn't have an artifact beer then, too. You were oh, out. yeah, that's right. That thing was Papa juice. Was Papa, so yeah, that thing uh, was insane. Um, he was talking about a beer that Urban Artifact made a couple of years ago that probably had like four times the amount of pop on it even his had. They admitted that uh, they lost a ton of money on making that beer. Pop on just keeps going up in price. Um, but yeah, I think uh, you know, between, I think he did use the most pop on per pound uh, or per barrel that any of us did. And then that little bit of uh, extract going on some pop also. Uh, yeah, uh, same same observations. Really, really uh, enjoyable drinking beer. Uh, I could drink this all day. Um, love the fruit character. Uh, great finish. Um, great malt character. So well done. Let me make one more comment. So two of these guys mentioned the caramel presence in there, and that basically just comes from our boil kettle. It's a it's a very small diameter tall boil kettle, which everybody that's ever brewed on one in the United States of America and Canada hates because it has a tendency to build up BTUs in the bottom and then kind of erupt and throw shit everywhere. So it's a very maddening kettle, but it creates a very signature characteristic, uh, which is basically, it's, it's creating those Maillard reactions with the sugars in, in, in the work and uh, creates those caramel characteristics. So we have to be really careful on some of our beers, and we run way shorter boils on certain styles of beer than most people would do that because we can create caramel characteristics in beers we don't want it in, so we have to be careful with that. But since this is an English style beer, it works really nicely in that. So that's where that caramel characteristic comes from. So just comparing like the home brewing, when do you add the pop on into the, the work? Do you do it during the boil, after the boil? We add it, we add it after primary fermentation. And I'm gonna assume that most of these guys do the same because if you or add it if we add it any earlier, you lose a lot of that characteristic in fermentation. You really can't put pop pop off in the boil or you're gonna really regret it. Uh, I feel like throwing pumpkin in your boil if you don't want that. So, yeah, so we had post-fermentation, and then it creates a secondary fermentation, and you keep, you know, most of that aroma and flavor character, and it'll take a little bit of the sugar out. Pawpaw's not a very vigorous fermenter for us, even though we use a lot. It doesn't create a very, you know, vigorous secondary fermentation. It's kind of a slow, constant, and like I say, typically five to six days, and it goes still and then if the pulp will start to settle out. But that's what we do. Uh, I say, yeah, we do RLRs uh, during fermentation. Uh, we do not do uh, high crossing. We will do it after the primary is completely done. If we transfer it on it, wait another week. We just want to make sure everything's fully fermented out. And I think it, it gives a good flavor. Um, yeah. Yep, same. Yeah, towards the end of fermentation, before it's completely done. Uh, just gotta keep it going, get that little sugar rush at the end, keep that yeast happy. I do uh, definitely post fermentation, right way at the end. So, not a lot of time uh, with content. Beer and pop on. So, yep. Okay. Alright, so I just want to kind of chime in on that whole topic. So, 
people put it in at different times. Some people in the good old days would try to put their fresh fruit in towards the end of the boil just to try just to try to sterilize the fruit, so to say. Cut down the wild yeast on the skins. Um, no one's doing that here anymore. Uh, you know, some people like to wait until the ferment's done so you have all the alcohol in there. That helps kind of inhibit any growth. Because this is a fruit that is not pasteurized. It's processed and located. There's still the wild yeast in the skins. And I don't know of any group that use sulfites at all. Bump, bump, bump. There you go. Um, you know, so uh, once they add uh, this fruit, they certainly hope that their sanitation is great up to that point, and the bacteria is not going to be in the war of producing uh, off product characters, basically, they say. Um, me and insiders. I actually use cold refrigeration, and I don't allow my pawpaw to ferment out post-addition. So I'll finish the cider, completely dry, add my fruit, well, transfer that product into a cold tank, crash it down to 33 degrees, then add my fruit, and I don't do any fermentation anymore. I used to, but now I just try to get more flavor, use that as my sweetening cider. I do not filter. No, no. I don't do any filter. Is anybody filtered? No. No, none of these have been filtered. You will find people that do filter their beers. Uh, you'll end up with a lot of different opinions, perspectives, and things on that. Um, my my opinion is you're stripping out flavors along with all the invisibles. The question does anybody use black? I'm guessing it means overripe pawpaws. Right. Just whatever Chris Schmiel gives us. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, Chris Schmiel is the one everyone is purchasing their, their pulp from for the most part. Yep. I mean, um, you see, uh, I know there's a brewery upland in Indiana. They buy their pawpaw puree from Chris Schmiel. Fontaflora in North Carolina, they buy their pawpaw puree from Chris Schmiel. So anybody commercial, he's the only commercial supplier of pawpaw, really, in the United States, as far as I know. So most of the beers have a later home fill. Do you think like a Dunkel or a Schlesky work with the pump What was that question? I, I believe the question was, would you use roasted greens with pump Oh, Yeah, I, I can, I'll address that. He's not here, He's but I'll address that. He's Dunkel. Yeah, I'll address that. I don't know about a Dunkel, uh, but they're not here this year, but Marietta Brewing started making a, a pawpaw porter some years ago that was actually very tasty. Now, I think they went away from that. They, if they still make their pawpaw beer, it was, they changed the name to, well, they changed the name from a different beer. It was called Putnam, Putnam which, is, which was a very good beer. But they, I think their original beer after you left was a, a porter, was it? which I think actually was very, very nice. It, it wasn't a super dry, like a stringent, roasty, American-style robust. It was more like an English-style brown porter, so it had that chocolatey caramel malty character to it. And it worked very well with that. I haven't tasted very many that use dark grains, but that one's a very nice one. So I think, yes, it can work. Um, I think you have to choose, choose wisely with the, the types of malt you're using with it. I think it'll do very well with some of the some of the, the highly roasted uh, or highly kiln crystals, like in maybe 80s, 90s, 120s, things like that. It can contribute those raisin and caramel characters in there. I think those both work very nice with the pop-off. Uh, along that note, I think it'd be really interesting if you could actually harvest some 
some fresh pop off and actually see what would happen if you tried to roast one. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what kind of flavors will come out of that because some fruits are really interesting when you put on the grill. Like, you know, just for instance, if you grill pineapple, it's amazing, right? It brings out all these flavors that aren't even, where did that come from? I'm just wondering if Pop Pop could do that because, you know, you also see stuff like that in like Jamaican style cooking with the plantains and things like that where they'll, they'll, they'll blacken those plantains or whatever they do with them. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of possibilities that we've never even touched down here at this festival that we could actually look into moving forward. You know, we're also comfortable in, in, our, in our comfort zone with making these beers we made. But, you know, it's, it's, it can be expensive to experiment with pop I mean, you have to do small pilot batches and uh, really, in essence, almost home brew batch with five or ten gallons to see how it could turn out. But there are a lot of avenues I think we haven't looked at that could be very interesting. I'm going to touch on that idea of a dunkle. I uh, regularly have a Dunkle always on tap. I usually go for a little bit drier dunkle, which makes it more bready in flavor. But I've found at times if I uh, don't get it to ferment out properly, it does get a little bit more of a cherry flavor, I feel like, from that Munich malt. Um, and I kind of feel like if you have like a sweeter dunkle base, uh, that cherry-like flavor could probably pair nicely with, uh, with it. Because I, I think the roast with that pop-up flavor probably will A, mostly hide it, uh, and B, I don't think it'll be complimentary, but it's possible. Um, but a dunkle where it doesn't accentuate the roast, um, I think it's a possibility. Maybe I'll mess around with a, uh, a five-gallon batch of it uh, and uh, give it a try some All right. <laughs> I might need a taste, sir. It's not very good. <laughs> you want to add to it? Okay, well that was a great question. We have another one over here. I think all the beers were unique and very tasty. But my question is, outside of this pop-up festival, how, how popular are your beers commercially? That's a good question in reference to this pop-up beer that you can sell commercially regularly. I'm pretty sure all these guys actually, unless I missed one of the answers, I'm pretty sure all these guys said that they have, this is the only place that's available. Is that correct? Yeah. If you said, here's one your pub. Mine's at my pub and it's available. Okay, uh, well he does have a chance, so he can address that too. Um, for us personally, it's pretty pretty successful in our pub and then uh, a lot of carry out growlers and things like that. And we do have a couple or three accounts. We do some limited draft distribution around our area. Uh, and uh, our pop-up beer has been popular with a couple of accounts. I'm pretty sure the Cider House has even carried before, yeah. yes. Yeah. So, uh, and honestly, every summer I get phone calls and emails from all over the daggone country asking if how they can get pop-up beer. Uh, because all of us at one time or another have shown up on online forums or in publications about the pop-up. Uh, some of them actually come out of Washington, D.C. with some, some interesting uh, organizations. And I always steer them to the guys who package. Um, I know Jackie has, has, I don't know if they did this year, has bottled theirs in the past. It's a difficult product to bottle. You have to pass through pasteurized or you risk some bottle bombs. But, I know Jackie O's. Well, I'm not sure if Jackie O's, but I know someone does bottle yeah. it because I found one out of Yeah, Thirsty Dog used to bottle their, their Saison too. Now, they've got a different beer down here yesterday for this year than they've had in the past. It used to be a much higher ABV Saison style beer. But, yeah, I mean, there's there's commercial interest for the pop-up beers. 
if somebody can make them. And I would bet upland gets them out there too. Right. You live in northern Indiana, and we see upland pop up here in the grocery stores. Yeah. Stores. I'll say my experience, uh, just in the general market, is that pop ups are definitely a niche. Um, and just based off of my pop sales, there's those people that seek it out and they're like, oh my god, there's a pop up here. They get it. There's uh, a dude who, whenever it's on draft, uh, he'll come in like once or twice a week and drink it by the one liter stock. Um, but um, I love that too. Um, but, but like overall, it's more like there, there's a small percentage of the population that love them, and then overall, like they're kind of forgotten by most people outside of this small time of year. Um, I've also noticed that like around the pop off fest, like I'll probably sell uh, maybe two thirds, three quarters of what I have left after this festival in the next month, and then like the next third or whatever. Uh, I'll probably have around until spring or something like that. Who knows? Um, it just kind of stops. Also, you know, I threw out a light, more summer in the end. It's the end of summer. So, you know, we're also transitioning right into the time when people drink stouts and stuff like that. So that might be also why it slows down a lot after the next month. It is a seasonal food for sure. Uh, you know, most people, if, if you're not familiar with the pop off fest, have any clue what the pop off fruit is. You know, honestly, it's it's a really unusual fruit. You never see it in stores or supermarkets because you pick it, and within a week, it's already starting to rot. It has a two week window basically to harvest. It doesn't store well without freezing, and it's great to process it first. So it's 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 I I find it a niche at our location. You know, we make one to two batches a year, and that's it. Let it, you know, wait till next year, build interest again, and go with it again. And I think that's probably the way most people, you know, do it. They just have a, you know, one or two batch off. You know, and sometimes you make that second batch because the first batch is selling so well, and then all of a sudden, sales drop. So it's, you know, so it's it's a tough one. But, yes. You you make pop off cider, right? Yeah. Is there a place, is there a local place where I can get a follow up at the Wayne Hall? You can get canned. The question was, and I didn't mean to be self-serving on this, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll say you can buy Athens West End Cider House Ciders in Athens by the can or on draft at our location on the west side of Athens, Ohio. Um, so it's West Washington Street. So yeah, you, if, if you want to try a cider infused with Papa, and as I mentioned, I make a dry cider. I use my papa as a sweetener and as a flavor character addition, and I do not ferment that out, which it sounds like everyone here basically ferments out their papa um, post addition. So that's the only unusual thing. But yeah, Athens at the cidery, cider house. So if there are no other questions, I have one question. Oh. So you folks said you're from Indiana. Okay, what does Upland's pawpaw beer taste like? So, yeah. Yeah, what does it, it taste like? sour, isn't it? I would expect it to be. It's yeah, sour. So it's one of their sours, and their sours are like really it's sour, sour. <laughs> really acidic. So you get a little bit of the pawpaw funkiness, and then just a ton of sour and acidity. Yeah. So I mean, you, can, like. you can talk about it soon. No, that's pretty much what it Okay. All right. Okay, we're nearing 
time slot. Oh, questions. So as long as everyone wants to sit here and listen, push, push. Hi, I just want to say thank you to all of you for being here, and all of your beers are delicious. Very, very good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Woo! Maybe uh, a book collaboration could be in your future. <laughs> beers would be lovely. Um, but last year, with the festival not taking place, I'm just curious what happened to all the pulp that was produced and not used, um, and why are we not seeing a lot of it bottled this year? Um, why is it we can only get it limited? <laughs> um, so we're kind of allocated how much we get, um, and we were still given some last year when we didn't have it. Uh, we still made at least, at least for us, we still made our Paul Homer and sold it just in our tap room. I think we sold some kegs of it around Columbus or wherever, but we still made it. Uh, at least for us, we don't package that beer. Just we just don't do it. Uh, just because it's kind of a one-time thing. But, uh, I, I'm sure a lot of the other guys here at the Bale more Shelf Stable than ours, and they could get it out, but that's how are We did do ours last year, same time frame and everything, and uh, it was probably more popular in the pub last year, even though it was a strange business type year and business was down overall. We actually sold through very quickly because I think a lot of people missed coming down to here that would generally have come down for it, and maybe more people seeked it out. Uh, or take out uh, growlers, things like that. And I'm not sure who else made theirs last year, so I mean, they obviously did. I'm sure some people did, some people did. But yeah, we, we were able to get our pop last year and we made the beer and sold it out probably quicker than normal in the pub. So. Well, we're actually here for three who made it last year. Uh, yeah, but being like, I was carry out only the whole time for the pandemic until you know, early summer. Or something like that. Uh, so yeah, mine was selling, you know, volume-wise very slowly, and so uh, even though I made it, uh, I only ran out of that batch of a month ago. And uh, yeah, in regards to like why you don't buy the pop on it's still difficult to get a pad. Um, I've heard uh, talk of something is killing pop on trees, um, so that's something to be concerned about. Um, and. Uh, Whatever is going on with the climate, uh, they haven't had good crops for years now. Um, and then the third thing is, I mentioned some of these other breweries. Um, I've heard from Chris Neal that Pontiflora uh, is basically all over him to try to get more and more and more mama. Uh, so he's kind of allocating stuff for us uh, and them. And uh, so there's interest outside of just this area now for the first time ever, really. I know, like, Upland did do theirs years ago, but Fauna uh, Flora has just been recently getting into it, and I guess they've been the most aggressive with it of anybody. Um, so, you know, cool to spread the, the, uh, the gospel of Pawpaw, but also it's going to make things more difficult and more sensitive for us here um, as the supply dwindles. Uh, so I'm the outlier. I did not brew the Pawpaw last year. Uh, last year sucked. And uh, I was bummed that everything was canceled, and bummed that Paw Paw Fest was canceled, and and uh, we had a lot of other stuff on our plate last year too. So um, in hindsight, after hearing about you guys brewing them, I should have brewed it. <laughs> should have made some. Um, but yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's. I, I, 
I do appreciate that Chris is kind of looking after us and, and reserving uh, some pulp for us and, and trying to keep everybody in the gang or in the game. So uh, hats off to Chris too.